Welcome to Money in the Air, the music podcast about neighboring rights, the royalties you earn from the public performance of your recordings and the business of music in general. Brought to you by IFR, the International Association for Artists and Rights Holders. I'm Andrew, a royalty consultant helping artists to collect on their value. Hi, I'm Gina Deacon. I work for Absolute Rights Management and I work with record labels and artists to ensure we claim the royalty income due to them. I'm Stacey Haber and I'm from Inside Baseball Music Publishing. Hi, I'm Tanya Oliveira. I work for Transparency Entertainment Group. I focus on World X USA neighboring rights on the performer side and rights holder side. Hey, welcome back to Money in the Air, the neighboring rights podcast brought to you by IFR, the Independent Association for Artists and Rights Holders. Today, we have a really special guest, so sit back and get comfortable. We have Nicholas Mullinder. Nicholas is from Music Rights Awareness which is a foundation that educates music rights holders, helping them fully understand what the rights are, how you monetize them, any kind of support that a musician would need for any of their intellectual property. Nicholas, say hello and give us a little more detail. Hi, everyone, and thanks so much for having me. It's great to be part of this podcast. My background is I'm a songwriter, music producer, and I've been doing that for for many years, almost plus 15 years. At one point, me and my songwriter partner, we had so many requests for songs, so we couldn't really keep up. So we had to uh, find more people. And as you do uh, in a situation like that, you start a publishing company and become a production house. And we found three really talented up and coming creators. I was so naive at the time, so I thought I could run a publishing company in a production house with my right hand and still be in the studio producing music for total five creators. But that was when I realized how deep and dark the black hole of metadata is and how complicated the music industry made for itself. I was constantly chasing data all the time. Still, I, you know, I could do my best. And at one point, two of our creators came back from a trip to New York where they they had been writing and producing music and they had a song that was actually really good and I said oh great amazing and and I I was about to go ahead and and do all the registration so I asked them who did you write this song with and they went DJ Pete and I'm like "Uh, okay guys do we have anything more than DJ Pete do we have a name an identifier and a manager but but they had a phone number so that was everything i had so it took me a lot of time to just find out who this person was so that was when i realized okay something needs to be done here and i need a tool i had tried with spreadsheets emails text messaging all that kind of stuff but nothing really worked this is eight nine years ago and of course the phones was there and and we used it but maybe not as much as we do today but i saw that which direction the phone was going into and, and we do everything with it with a phone so why not also capture all the data because the problem i saw was that the data around the music all the, the important data that is crucial to make sure that all the creators get credited and paid is collected way too late in the process if you know and sometimes never at all and the problem here is that it is just one group of people that knows the real truth about the song. People in the studio, the people that created it. So my idea was to give them access to something that where they can do that. We know that creators don't like admin, but spend 
just a few seconds during or after the session and just capture all the data. So I came up with an idea for this kind of platform, of course, mobile, but also for the desktop computer and for the web started a company and I had an amazing, I was lucky and, and honored because I got two of the most successful music creators ever as partners. I got Max Martin and Bjorn Olveus of ABBA as partners. So the three of us started a company that was from the beginning called Audley, but we changed name to Session a few years back. And the whole idea with that company and that platform is to give the creators access to to a really nice tool that helps them do all the admin at the same time as we help them with nice features that makes the actual creation much easier as well so that was kind of the first step into this i mean we were so right on time with this and and the whole industry was more or less screaming for something it's been taking years though to get to where we are now and we still have a long way to go it was a good time for us to start. And with those people I started it with, it also was an, an gave me opportunities that I would never got if I didn't have them on board. So uh, it was good. Can any of our listeners sign up? And what Max and Bjorn said uh, to me, creators should always be able to use this for free. So session is free for all creators all over the world. We don't ask for credit cards. Just go to where you download your apps or go to session ID uh, and then just create your account. It's free. The whole idea with session is to give the creators a tool where they more or less use it as a, a creative support. You can, you can write your lyrics, store your audio files, discuss the splits. But in the background, we do what is the most important thing when it comes to getting paid and getting credited in the music industry. We add the five identifiers in the background because the five identifiers are the most important thing for a creator to get credited and paid, but mostly paid. And I don't know how deep you want to go into that, but I, I can just mention that it's IPI for songwriters and publishers, ISWC for the actual work, ISRC for the recording, IPN for all the performers, and ISNI as a combination of all the, the, the other four. And if something is wrong here in the combination uh, between all those identifiers, the creators don't get paid. So we help creators. We work together with societies, both for songwriters, but also for performers, to automatically apply and, and link the identifiers during the creation process. So when it leaves our platform, everything should be as good as possible. It gets a bit complicated when there's publishers, managers, and labels involved. But in that, those cases, we help them with sending the right information downstream to the people that need and the companies that need to have it. So all this led to also the education because I realized that it was not enough of providing this tool to creators and ask creators to add information and data into to something new if they don't even know what they should add and what is good for. So education, I saw a huge need of educating creators all over the world and not only uh, creators, also people working for music companies and music organizations. It's so important that everyone is aware of what's going on uh, as a whole uh, in, in the industry and not only in the sector that you're working in. So uh, 
I said to Max and Bjorn, we should get into the education space. And they thought I was crazy because that's a huge thing to take on uh, if you want to do it good. Uh, but I had an idea of, of making a, a, an education platform, uh, a digital education platform that can scale uh, to the whole world, to uh, creators all over the whole world. The platform sh should include general music industry structure because that's number one. There's too many creators out there that don't really know the difference between a publisher and a label, for example. It can be tricky, couldn't be super tricky, but that is a huge important part. First, understand the structure. And then the second part, how the five identifier that I, I mentioned before, how, what they stand for and why they are so important to apply onto uh, the role on who's doing what, where and when on a, a recording and a work. And talk about that in a way that simplifies so the creators really can understand it. And we're going to do that with a really cool new, it's going to be based on short video clips with really high profile music creators. So uh, it's going to be interesting to learn from, from, from uh, I mean, if Max tells you why you need an IPI as a songwriter, for example, people will listen when he talks very short. So with this idea, uh, I, I said to Max and Bjorn, we need to do something with this. And they agreed. So we started a foundation called Music Rights Awareness Foundation. I presented this idea about this education platform to a lot of, of uh, uh, music companies and music organizations out there. And everyone was very supportive. But I still miss the, uh, the partner to do this with. And someone told me, you should talk to WIPO. And at that point, I had no idea what, what WIPO was and what it stood for. And, uh, but now I know uh, it took some time. Uh, WIPO is the UN. Uh, WIPO is UN's uh, IP organ. It stands for World Intellectual Property Organization. They normally don't do private partnerships like this, but they thought the idea was so good. And uh, it... Actually, it became a bit bigger than I uh, had in mind because we are going to start with music, but we, over time, we're going to add other IP sectors for authors, photographers, and you know all kinds of IP, but we're going to start with music. So with the idea, WIPO really liked it. So we started a consortium together called WIPO for Creators, and we are right now building this platform. So uh, that's what I do. <laughs> so how do you find that all of the technology is reaching the people you're trying to reach? Are you having great success with this or are you having to go out and actively market because people don't know that they don't know? Yeah, that's, that's a real challenge. And, and I mean, since we, the, the education platform, and this is so important for me to say, uh, I mean, I, I have two hats. I have one hat uh, that says session, and I have one hat called Wipe Before Creators uh, or Music Rights Awareness Foundation. We are the same people behind the two different initiatives, but everything we do within WIPO and Music Rights Awareness Foundation, I just want to highlight that that's not a marketing tool for session. It's two completely different uh, uh, yeah. organizations. But with the education part, we're not really on the market yet. So to answer your question, I put on my session hat and say, yes, it is a bit challenging uh, to reach out there and, and make sure that everyone knows what they, uh, why they should download the session tool and what it's good for. 
we see now, I mean, we have over 30,000 active users uh, that is using the platform and it increases on a daily basis. And, you know, it's a snowball effect. You know, when, when we re- realize that, of course, we can talk about it, uh, advertise, be part of panels. And, 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 and of course, we love to, to talk as much as possible. But the word of mouth is actually what's what what is the the best uh, uh, tool for us. You know, the people talk about it, and uh, if one person in a session uses it, uh, most of the time it ends that everyone involved uh, that they will have an account on our platform when the day is over. So, uh, yeah, but we we don't we don't have that stress actually. It can it, it can grow uh, organically, and uh, it, we want to do this right. We want to solve the data problem for creators. And if it takes some time, that's fine. Thank you. And we'll certainly put a link when we put out notice of this episode. And, yeah. and if you want us to put an active link or logo on our website, we're happy to help because oh, we have the same problem. People don't know that they don't know. No. And, and that is, you know, and I read, I would I really appreciate if, if we can do uh, share the link, uh, that would be great. And I think the here is, is the, uh, the trick and that there's so many great initiatives out there and there's so much positive energy around helping creators. But as you said, it's hard to reach out. So things like this, this podcast that you produce amazing and the collaboration that we invite together, you know, we invite a, a different organizations and other initiatives and just continue pushing because I, I'm sure it will pay off if we uh, continue doing this because creators are hungry to learn. And uh, one thing I see, and I don't know if, if you guys agree, but um, I see a different, I see a different approach uh, to data in general uh, from the more new, younger uh, music creators. They're, they're much more data driven than me, for example. And, and, and the, uh, so I think it will change. They're more aware of the importance of data. So I, I think it's going to be better uh, in the future, actually. It, they're certainly less resistant and more aware because mm. it's been part of their vocabulary from birth now. Guys, have you found that your younger artists are more forthcoming with the data that you need to help register them? Oh, yeah, definitely, without a doubt, especially millennials. And then I don't know what the generation is for the one after millennials, but yeah, they're just they're on it. They have their spreadsheets or Google Sheets, Google Docs. They keep track of everything. And I just want to quickly agree and reiterate with Nicholas how important this metadata is, because, for example, um, the Swedish neighboring rights organization is called SAMI. And um, in order to update repertoire and basically claim a track there, they need a lot of info. They need full names of all of the lineup, not just the featured artists, like everyone that was a session player. They need their dates of birth. They need email addresses. Like, who has this? <laughs> I feel like this has been a hurdle for me um, because, you know, you ask your clients, so what are the email addresses of the, you know, the bass player, the drummer? They're like, I don't know, or what their date of birth, don't know. And it's, mm-hmm. it's problematic because we can't, then I can't proceed. So I just wanted to mention that it's a little little tip to make creators understand. I mean, I'm I'm using one example because I I uh, since the, it's so complicated uh, in the industry, and, and I mean we could uh, we could spend a whole episode of your podcast just talking about one of the identifiers and all the problems around it. And you know when when I was working as a creator, I and only creating music, I. I know that I complained every time I saw a royalty statement because it was less than I expected. And 
Uh, and that's what I see the majority of the creators do. They, they complain, uh, but then we love creating music so much. So we scream and shout for a couple of hours and then we go back to the studio and create more music. <laughs> and, 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 and that's how, it, and I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I'm a positive person, but I, I just want to say that when I learned exactly how it works on both the, the, the songwriter side, but also on the recording, the master side and all the problems that could occur and, and all the money that gets lost because of, of small errors in the system. If creators knew that, I mean, I, to be honest, I've not seen any other business that are where the actual product owner if we dare to call music a product for a second i know that some creators don't like that but my view is if you put something to the market and want to earn money it's it's i consider it as a product but you can call it whatever you want um and there's no i don't know on any other business where the product owner or the product developer have so bad control over the ownership and one problem is that there's so many owners on a song uh, take a computer or a phone, for example. It's mostly, most of the time, one company that developed it, that the product and put it out on the market. And when it's sold in a store somewhere, they know exactly how the money f- flows back. But in songs, we don't even know who the other owners are and how we should split the money. And uh, so I, I, I try to compare it to other things. And that makes creators most of the time understand it. And have music creation as your profession. If you compare that to working as a waiter, for example, in a restaurant, you know you, know you need to go to the restaurant uh, to do your job, but if you do equals that to, to work as a, a, a music creator, it's like going there without filling in the time report and not give your employee, uh, your company, uh, the, your bank details. So they know, don't know how much money and where to pay you. And no one would do that. I mean, no one would do that. But in music, we, we accept that. Uh, so uh, there's so I, much things in the system that needs to change. I think that musicians and songwriters are surprised that after they've done the hardest thing they've ever had to do, which is create, their mm. job is only starting. It's not yes. ending. And that's no. the hardest thing to get across. Yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, I mean, it's... The, the uh, IP, to take the IPN number, for example, if you want to get paid for your performance, with, uh, and, I mean, you, you need to have your IPN number and make sure it, that it's registered. And to go to the studio and, and, and you know, do some kind of, of, of contribution or performance on, on a recording without le- leaving your IPN to the producer, that is like going to the bank and try to withdraw cash, but you don't have your ID, social security number and ID, you're not going to get cash. And it's so important to make sure that the, the creators understand that your identifiers need to be there if you're going to get paid. Otherwise, it's going to be zero. And you need, they need the registrations. The registrations need to be claimed. We liken it to earning just... money and then not collecting it. Mm. Say, so for example, I was a creator. And I was in a recording studio and I have my number, my IPN number, I have the ICC. Who, who is responsible for collecting all this data? So you've got the bass player, you've got the vocals, you've got the key. If, if everybody was there together and they've, is one person ingesting this data into the app and then who, 
what happens to the data afterwards? I'm just curious. So yeah, interesting. So again, then with my session hat on, if we talk about session, as you're referring to it. Uh, so to simplify the process for the creators, uh, we have something called a, a creator ID verification. And that is a one-time verification for your IPI as a songwriter and IPN as a performer, and also the ISNI. Session is the only non-CMO, uh, like a copyright society, uh, that has access to all the five identifiers. So what we do, we verify your identity uh, with your IPI and IPN. And we need to do that with the societies directly. So unfortunately, there's not one single way of doing it for every uh, performer in the whole world in one go. We need to do it with society by society. But we're working with some of the, the bigger societies now. And for the IPN identifier, the P PPL, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the British uh, CMO for, for performing rights are, are working together with us and leading the way. So now we see more and more uh, CMOs uh, around, uh, especially Europe, uh, joining uh, with this uh, ID verification. And we do the same thing with, for songwriters with, with uh, the PROs, the, the uh, PRSs, the ASCAPs, the BMIs. And we're working actively now to add them one by one. So when you have your session account, we verify you one time. And after that, you never, ever have to think about your identifier again. So when you get to the studio, we have solved it. In, if you're working physically together, you just scan in because we have now sold on our desktop version. We are on top of all recording software. These are called DAWs, the Digital Audio Workstations. So with one click, the producer or the engineer just brings up the QR code and you take your phone, you scan in and automatically just by scanning in, we know exactly where you were, when you were there, on what song you were doing the recording and exactly all your information. And, and of course, what instruments you play on a track level. So just by scanning in, all the links are ready. And then who's doing the registration? I mean, I think the, the most simplest way of, of answering that, the master owner, if it's a label or if it's a do-it-yourself, it's the, per, the, the person or the company that puts the music to the market that has the responsibility to do the, the, the registration for all the performers. Because there is one gray zone here. You know, I might go to studio and play guitar and get paid for it, but we don't know when I'm doing that job if my guitar will be on the final mix. So it's so important for the musicians and the performers to also remember just because you go to the studio doesn't mean that your uh, performance will be on the actual final mix. If it's on the final mix, you should be registered and get paid for that. But if your track is muted, you should not get that money afterwards. You should still keep your uh, work for higher uh, uh, cash that you received, of course, because you did it, but you don't get any uh, royalties afterwards. So again, there's only one or a couple of people that really can tell it's the people that do the final mix, that bounce the track and, and send it to mastering. That's where it's decided who should be registered. And that's the person that also should 
do the registration or send the information to the label. Is there a way for everybody to have the app and to use it so that if there's a dispute, um, because I don't think a label is going to ring them up and say, sorry, we dropped your track. You'll try to claim it and they'll say then, no, sorry. But I think everyone should be responsible for their own income. They have to pursue yes. it actively. Yeah, so so we have great support uh, from the labels. And I mean, there's so many labels and we have started uh, with session to work with the majors. And I must say that Universal, they have been amazing. Uh, so they have actually, uh, we've been working with Universal for more than one and a half a year to really make sure that they can receive the information correctly and from, from the session platform. And session, we use only a standard format so we shouldn't we should not dig too deep into that but there's an organization called ddex which is an organization that creates formats for the industry so everyone using the same digital format and session is only using those ddex formats so we can send the information to anyone and they should be able to read it but unfortunately when it comes to the ddex standard called rin uh, which is the standard for sending information from studio to label, we realized there were so many things that was not matching with uh, the supply, uh, supply system that uh, the Universal was using. So for more than one year, we've been working together to change that. So Session now can send these files to Universal and they can receive it and ingest it. So as a performer, you go to the studio, scan in, and just by doing that, you get your, uh, you see on the session platform that you scanned in and exactly who's scanned you in and on what song. And if they take you out, you're going to get a notice. But if they release it and you're on it, you're going to get that notification as well. Uh, That's and, great. Yeah. So uh, we want to, we want to bring transparency. But again, as we've been saying so many times, the creators needs to be on board. It's not going to happen automatically. They need to do small things. And, and uh, I mean, as we have created the system now, it takes seconds. I mean, seconds. So they, they can't say that it takes too long time. Right. And it's a game changer. Yeah, I think so, actually. Yeah. Can you tell everyone what to type in to their search engine on their app store? Session ID. Session.id is, is the uh, name of the app. So, but if you type session, I think that, it, and it's an, it's an orange, uh, orange icon, and you will see it. So, session or session ID. Brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. Can we talk specifically about neighboring rights? and whether it's an important revenue stream for you? It is. Uh, and it took so much time for me to really understand how, I mean, I'm, a, as you said, but the Swedish uh, CMO is called Sami. And it first, you know, when I start, if I go way back now, before, uh, you know, when I just became a member, it too, took me so long time just to understand what they did. And, and they sent me emails asking for registrations and and they asked for, ISRC and you know and I had no idea so unfortunately it took so long time just because I was lazy uh, to understand what they could do for me but then at one point we I think it was like the the first real hit we had uh, and there was significant amount of money they really they called me and said Nicholas we need to to solve this and I'm I so appreciate that they 
they did that and that you know it's a great service that they call you and you know so you need to register your your recordings and and your performances so it's really good uh and then now i'm working with them and i i I, I I know them personally, so now of course, as soon as there's a problem with my songs, they ping me, and yeah, so I would say that uh, I don't earn as much money on on performing rights as I do on publishing, uh, uh, of for of course understandable reasons, but it's a very important uh, revenue for me. And you wouldn't just leave it there if you've already earned it. There's no reason not to collect it. No, that, definitely, and that's where no. the education comes in. Yeah, uh, the education and also to um, it's it, it's very uh, education and for the, uh, the the performers to to learn and understand what they need to do. And but I also think it's important that the uh, the societies, the CMOs, and and the, the companies working with neighboring rights simplifies the process for the uh, for the performers to to do it as well because sometimes it is a bit tricky. And uh, if you get to a point where you don't really understand it's easier to start working on a new song instead. Uh, and so <laughs> I understand that they give up sometimes, actually. Uh, so uh, I think it's a collaboration between the creators and, and the, the industry and the systems. And I think it's also important to reinforce that sometimes the creator is the rights holder. A lot of indie mm. musicians don't realize they have to register the recording as the rights holder first, or they'll yeah. never get paid as the performer. That's something that we always have to start with the ABCs, like you say, the difference between the P in the circle and the C in the circle, yeah. and then the registration as the rights holder. Totally. But again, it's an easy message to teach. Really easy message to, uh, message to, to, to teach them. But I, I also must, if there's performers listening, performers listening to, to this podcast now, I, I must just say, I, I think that the majority of all the uh, societies out there are very friendly, exactly as, as Sami was to me. Or if you have an agency that do it for you. I mean, if you have a question, just call your representative, just call them and, and they will help you. And uh, uh, so instead of just let it be, just just call them and, and say, I don't understand. And you will get the help. And when we get the education platform out there, I, I hope, of course, that uh, we can give that information that they need through that platform and uh, with session i hope that uh what, what we're working on is nothing that we have in in production now but i hope it will be available before the end of this year it's a direct registration directly from the session app and yes and that also comes with uh for those countries where music union is very uh, uh strong so we also can do a digital sign-off of the union agreements directly in the studio uh, in the app. So we solve everything in one go. Uh, so that is what we're working on. And that, to me, is something that is very valuable to the creators because then you just can one press on the, on, on the phone or on the computer and boom, the data is going to be pushed downstream to where it should go. So that's incredible. That, yes. Can I take us back to music rights awareness? And everyone can join in on this question. I want to know if you've incorporated cryptocurrency and NFTs, music NFTs, into the rights pool. Uh, yes. So here, good question. I mean, now NFT, I, I, I love the idea with NFTs, but uh, well, I, it, I'm laughing a bit because 
uh, it's a trend right now. And a few years back, everyone was thinking that blockchain is going to say, you know, I don't know how many blockchain, you know, panels I've been listening to. And now it's just NFTs. So I see trends come and go, but that's brilliant. That's cool. So another thing we have now been talking about identifiers, registrations, and everything that's related to to be paid for your performance. But what about credits? I mean, to get your credits and make sure that the consumers out there, the people listening to the music, that they know who you are. And be, I want, if you're a bass player, I mean, it would be amazing if, if, if someone loves you, your bass performance, that they can click on you and get takes you to all the songs that you've been playing bass on, for example. And this is why credit is so important. When I started, I, it was still vinyl part, but uh, CD uh, came really quick. So, and back then, it was not, not a question. I mean, when you bought music, you also bought a, a booklet that came with the product. And you could read and you could, you know, lyrics and pictures and information about the actual, a bit behind the scenes. And when music became, uh, when streaming uh, became the new distribution format, that kind of disappeared. And now they're getting better and better and better. But still, it's just a small, 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 small part of everyone involved that really gets a cre- the credit. And it's so hard to find the credits. So I came up with an idea of, of making the next generation of credits. So I said to, uh, I said to Bjorn Olveos uh, that now when you're recording the new ABBA album, why not use that uh, as a proof of concept, what the next generation of credits can be? So since session is on the computer, but also on the phone, we are during 2022 are going to give the creators access to the camera in this session environment so they can capture never ever seen before credits content in digital streaming, movies, videos, images, screenshots from Pro Tools or Logic or whatever software they're using, completely new content. And together with Universal and, and, and YouTube and, and, and Spotify, we are now working on the next generation of credits where creators can capture this kind of data during the creation process and send it out. And now NFTs on top of that. Wow, what a combination. Now creators can find a completely new income source based on the content that they're capturing during the, the, uh, the creation process and sell that uh, uh, through NFTs. So yes, we are very much working with NFTs. Oh, very good. But as a publisher, how are you getting in on the game for NFTs? Because right now, only the master owner is reaping the benefits. And I don't think that publishing can be ignored. I think that has to be addressed very very soon yeah definitely and i actually i i don't really agree that the publishers are left out because uh, i've seen uh just a couple of days ago i i read about songs that you can buy a part of the songs with nfts right pure publishing and and um so i think that actually copyright for musical works also will be able to sell as NFTs. Do you think there'll be a mechanical royalty that attaches? I know that there's a couple of companies working on exactly this. And since it's so new, 
it's very hard to say how actually how it's going to be uh, and and there's a very complicated situation if there's two or more songwriters on on a musical work and one is published and part of the society and and one of them is do it themselves and can do whatever they want it's going to be very hard to judge what you can do with an nft on on that type of of musical work but if it's 100 owned by a non-published songwriter for example you can do whatever you want both for for uh, for performing rights and mechanical rights so Time will tell how we solve that. <laughs> I love how you predicted that I was going to come on to performing rights and that the neighboring right royalty should attach if somebody yes. is performing their NFT in public. I think we need to start talking about it now, especially as publishers and neighboring rights reps, because we don't want what happened with streaming to happen with any new revenue stream because we get left out. There's no money left. And then something like the Brennan bill comes along trying to make it equitable and the labels mm. shut it down. They don't want mm. They don't want to give up the lion's share. So, no. so if there's a way for music rights awareness to start having mm. the discussion, I think that would be very useful for the industry as a whole. Yeah. Nudge, nudge, hint, hint. No, I, to- I totally agree. And, and when we're talking about education here, if we're talking NFTs, I mean, the general public out there have no i mean are very hard to understand what nft really mean i mean how many times have i just the last six months tried to be explaining to people what an nft is and why it's, i mean i get i think i know but i get lost every time i try to explain it so it's the word it's fungible really, yes i know yeah, yeah. okay so, thank you sorry to throw you in at the deep end there but it's just my new bugbear yeah totally and i'm so excited to see what NFT is going to do for for our industry, I'm super excited, and and uh, I, I you know I think it's going when to be I, good. When I talk about it to my young artists, I talk about it as another form of merch. Uh, they seem to understand that. When I yeah, but what's so funny when I explained it the other day to someone, and and they said yeah, we were talking about a song or if it was an, an an image or a painting, whatever, and said yeah, but if it's digital, it's just to make a copy. Yeah, but you own the original <laughs> copy. Yeah, but why, what, you know, so it's so many question marks that people need to understand. Uh, Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. And I have oversimplified it. You're absolutely right. So after the session has been validated, how are the ISWCs and ISRCs being populated and paired to the individual sessions? I know this is kind of a, a technical question, but who finalizes what sessions are the ones that are getting released to market? Yeah, so a good question. Uh, so before we can uh, assign, if we start from the beginning with with the, the musical work first, to write a song, uh, before we can assign an ISWC, it needs, or everyone involved needs to be verified with their IPI. So we can, and that's why it's so important for us to get as many societies uh, as possible on board uh, doing this with us. But when we have that, we are together with the trade organization for all the, 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 the PROs, all the ASCAF, BMIs, and PRSs around the world. It's called CISAC, and they are based in, in Paris. Uh, and they control the ISWC uh, identifier. So together with them, we have developed uh, something that we call early ISWC. Uh, and that's not the final registration, but it's the 
actual identifier assigned early in the process. So everyone downstream refers to the same identifier. And we can just take, uh, let's take ABBA, for example, again, uh, Dancing Queen, for example, which is oh, a funny story. It's, it's ISWC number one, since it was the first song that ever got an ISWC. So, but that doesn't matter. Imagine a big group like ABBA. They have a song called Dancing Queen. And, and the musical work, Dancing Queen, should only have one ISWC, because there's only one musical work to this. And that ISWC, has three IPIs, Bjorn, Benny, and Universal Music Publishing. So that side of the songwriting side should only, only be one ISWC and three IPIs. When we last checked, and now we're talking about one of the biggest pop groups on the planet, which have people watching this and, and, and controlling their, their catalog all the time, it had 87 ISWCs. 87 and some of them includes names that are not even involved uh, so here we need and the, it's we don't have that's also a, a couple of hours to just discuss why uh, but so let's not go into that so but one reason is that uh, why it gets like this that if there's let's say three four five six different songwriters and everyone is represented by a publisher and, and societies are, uh, that are not the same. It means that so many different parts that will go ahead and do registration without being aware of what the others are doing because they care about their own client, of course. But if we assign the ISWC early in the studio and push that information downstream, everyone will at least refer to the same identifier. And we have the IPIs verified so we can with 100% guarantee say that that's, uh, these are the people and this is the ISWC uh, because the title can change. So we cannot use the title. We need to have the identifier. So we are now not in production yet, but in, in development, we are already assigning early ISWCs. So the technology is there. There's just a few political things that we need to do. And this will be done in the background. So songwriters will not even notice that the title that they see in the session window also has an identifier behind it. It's just going to happen. So that's how we manage that. But then when it comes to the recording, the ISRC, first, we, there we know that so many different versions. You have a radio version, an album version, a clean version. You have an instrumental version. You have all the stems. And every, each and one of those needs to have a unique uh, ISRC because there might be different data behind all those different versions. So we as session, we are an ISRC agent, so we can assign ISRCs. And if it's a do-it-yourself artist without the label, because the label always wants control over the ISRC assignment. But for uh, but smaller labels might don't. I know that the majors, it's a super important thing for them to keep, uh, to own that, uh, have the ownership of the ISRC. But for, for many others, we can do that for them. And we do that when the master owner or the person that controls the release in session, when they send it out, then we assign an ISRC to, uh, to each and one of the versions that are available. Uh, and by doing that, since we have the I, uh, creator uh, performers also verified with their IPN, all the way to the songwriters and IPI, we can 
match and link the identifiers before it even goes out to the market. And that's the whole idea with Session, to link, assign and link the identifiers early in the process. And then we have the ISNI challenge, but uh, we are also an ISNI agent, so we can assign ISNIs in Session directly. And so that is something that we, we, we are going to be much more loud about uh, during this year as well. And ISNI is a combination about, between all the data that I've been talking about now. But we will then help to also, if you have an ISNI, we will know that. But if you don't, you just assign an ISNI to yourself and you do that one time. And everything that leaves the platform ISRCs, ISWCs, and your other identifiers. We're just going to attach that to your uh, ISNI. So you don't even have to think about it. We're going to update the database automatically. And since you're verified with your other identifiers, it's going to be 100% correct. I know now that this sounds, it's very technical. It sounds complicated. So if you're a performer listening and think, oh my God, he's been talking a lot of things now and I don't need to understand. I understand that you don't understand because it's super complicated. But we do this for you so you don't have to think about it. That's the whole purpose. They can write in with questions and we'll pass them on to you. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, of course. Reach out if there's any questions and and, uh, keep keep on doing what you like to do most. Create music. The rest will be taken care of. But you need to pay, as a creator, you need to pay a bit of attention to it. Uh, But... um, continue doing music because that's where why we're here that because we all love creating music that's right and and there are people to help you we'll help they can contact music rights awareness directly there's a contact link on the website somebody's always got an answer and we'll help you know we all will thank you very very much thank you so much and thank you to my cohorts andrew gina and tanya we will see you all again next week thanks for listening and don't forget Go to IFR, www.iafar.co.uk and join. Become a member of IFR and you have access to all of these on repeat, including the videos and the tutorials. See you next week. Take care.